man named Alex Simmons woke up this morning thinking he was going to record a podcast. Little did he know he was heading for the Twilight Zone. That, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tell the Damn Story. We have Alex Simmons here. I'm Chris Ryan. And today's episode Are you sure it's a request by Alex Simmons for oh, a couple of months now. He wanted to do this episode, wanted to do this episode. We have such a big episode for you today. We had a call in reinforcements. Not only do we have the legendary Alex Simmons, not only am I here to disrupt things, but we also have the one and only, the, one the legendary writer legendary. of uh, the untold story, uh, Pee Wee Herman, the untold story. And uh, the untold story of, or behind the scenes, the Christmas story. And we don't need no ro- uh, roads. Uh, um, a biography <laughs> of Back to the Future that has been translated into multiple languages and the official book of uh, The Dark Crystal. Now, I didn't get a single title correct, but I did get the topics. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Cassine Gaines. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Hello, 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 hello. Oh, oh, oh. Long time listener, first time caller. No. <laughs> so, Cassie, uh, we, we asked you today because Alex Simmons and you share um, Wait a minute, a you love. wouldn't tell that story. Oh, well, you know, hey, hey, <laughs> oh, yeah, they right. share a love, a love that spanned decades. Um, you both share a love of the Twilight Zone yes. that far eclipses my run-of-the-mill fandom of that show. Um, and we thought it would be a great time to take a second look, uh, third look, 4,000th look at both the classic and uh, the CBS All Access version, which is uh, fascinating as well. So uh, welcome, uh, Kasim. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself or correct my um, titles? <laughs> If you don't mind, so people know what to look for from you. Yeah, absolutely. So, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to work into my my little bio, I suppose, introduction of myself. How I fell in love with the Twilight Zone because I feel like it's a it's a good appropriate story for this, and I would love to hear even Chris your your casual fandom of it. I would love to hear you and Alex talk about you know your introduction. But for me. the Twilight Zone is really tethered to uh, my uncle Miles, who is my my great uncle, actually, my my father's mm-hmm. uncle. And um, when I was a kid, I always had family members that would put me in front of this movie or that TV show, and that's how I, I fell in love with like our gang comedies and all of these things. And whenever there was a Twilight Zone marathon, uh, he would always call the house and say, "You got to make sure you're watching it. These are the, these are the best stories." that were ever written. These are the best stories. And so even when even when it wasn't a uh, marathon, I can remember I didn't see him very, very you know very often. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't like an immediate family member, but when I would see him at family functions, literally like uh, people camped around the the campfire, he would be telling okay. these stories of Twilight Zone episodes. Ah, that's fantastic. Um, to, you know, his nieces and nephews and things like that. And then you're never going to guess what happened here. Uh, she was beautiful. Oh my God! We <laughs> were, you know, just loving. They were like oral stories. Um, so that's really how I fell in love with the Twilight Zone. And then um, 
as I got older, just realized like these stories, they're not just like, you know, my crazy uncle Miles's story. Like these are like really great, great stories. Um, from the golden era of like short story writing, you know, like just like this, these really great science fiction short stories um, serialized. So that's how I found love with the Twilight Zone. Cool. And um, so I write, uh, I write books mostly on, uh, they're all nonfiction. They're mostly on pop culture things. Um, again, on Pee Wee's Playhouse, A Christmas Story, Back to the Future, and uh, The Dark Crystal. Sorry, I almost forgot myself. The Dark Crystal. Oh, ah, sorry about that, Jim. You didn't mean nothing by that, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's that's how I fell in love with the Twilight Zone. Yeah. Yes, love now, I've uh, I've known Cassine for a long, long time, and I've got him got to watch him uh, grow into manhood and then into authorhood, which was really cool. And a uh, big fan of his books. Um, I uh, we spoke on the phone often uh, when you were going through your first venture. Yes. Could I do this? Can I do this? And you did it spectacularly with Pee Wee Herman. And um, the uh, Christmas Story, you the one who turned me on to that film. I had always kind of successfully avoided it. Oh, geez, once, one of my favorites, you know, our family favorite. Yeah, you, yes, but and my older brother too. But for me, it never clicked. But mm -hmm. when your book came out, of course, you know I wanted to support you. And then in looking at that book, uh, I finally it finally started to click for me, which was really cool. Back to the Future uh, uh, might be my favorite of your books as a book, right? Yeah. Pee-wee is my favorite as, you know, you plunging in, right? And A Christmas Story was a revelation. Uh, back to the Future was just, I couldn't put it down from back to, you know, from cover to cover. And then Dark Crystal is a gorgeous book. It is the most beautiful of the, yeah. of the four books. And, you know, you, you gotta, I gotta, oh, I had to sell Tyler to afford the book. But it's, <laughs> but it was well oh, worth it. Eventually, Tyler found his way back. So you know, I mean, it worked out for everybody. That's not okay. Um, but if you're, and that's, and I, and I have to tell you, that makes me feel bad because that's the only one I don't get any royalties. So actually, that's ah, the well, worse. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Talk to somebody uh, about if, that. Uh, if you like pop culture, <laughs> check out those books. Alex, I'm sorry to interrupt. <laughs> you didn't. I was just telling. We got to, you know, we got to talk to somebody about that. You know, work something <laughs> out. You know, and ain't right. Well, you know. You know, those Muppets, they're like the Mafia. What are you going to say? Yeah, well, um, they're um, the union, um, too, you know? <laughs> they're a bigger organization. <clears throat> now, you were talking about your uh, the evolution of your, or, or, or where your origin of uh, your love of uh, Twilight Zone. Yeah. For me, it came in layers. Mm. Um, when I was growing up, I think, I, I remember it. Alex is going to correct me, because Alex knows all these things. Um, I remember it as being on Channel 9, late, late at night. Uh, in the New York area, I may be wrong. We're watching reruns. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm, yeah. you were watching as they were. I was there when when they invented the radio tube. That's right. I was next but, door. So. But, you know the reruns. I remember on Channel yeah. Nine. I, am I correct on that? You're you're right on Channel Nine for a period, and then it was on Channel Eleven. Right. Well, I, I'm talking about Late like, night. you know the '70s. Yeah. You know, yeah when, Channel Nine. You know, because they also did he, gallery on channel right. on that channel, so I think they just said let's do Rod Serling on nine. Yeah. But I always had nothing I, else. I liked I liked Twilight Zone, Night Gallery. I remember a few, um, and uh, they started. I think those were my my first morsels of that genre, and then you know Call Check the Night Stalker came, and I was really into that one. Um, but then college came, you know, and you're at the dorm and all that sort of stuff. And once we got off 
campus and there was a TV involved, then uh, inevitably someone would be watching, like the marathon, or someone would be watching, and then you see them again. And then, uh, actually, uh, I guess it's the holiday. Is it Thanksgiving that they do the marathon? Mm-hmm. So you you know you know they're there. You get another another bite of the apple, you know, and then. Um, Actually, seeing you, Cassine, uh, 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 teaching Eye of the Beholder mm-hmm. in school made me let me go look back again. And also, uh, when I finally uh, came across Richard Matheson and mm-hmm. uh, I Am Legend and started looking into more of his stuff, and then found out he was like, you know, maybe wrote the second most, you know. Number um, of episodes, yeah. Rod Serling, of course, wrote the most, uh, and, and then Matheson. Then you, you know, then I started approaching it from that level. So it's always been just kind of cyclical. It would show up, and I would. Uh, yeah, mine was mine was a whole other smoke. smoke. Uh, Alex, I have, yeah. Being being older than I both of you together. No. <laughs> <laughs> you know? uh, <clears throat> no, I mean I remember <laughs> CBS. If I remember right, it was was it Saturday? I think it was Saturday evenings. I'm not sure, but it was CBS evenings, and usually this. For a while, we, my mom and I didn't have a TV. So for a while, I only saw it on the weekends if we were at my grandmother's house. But that was, that was I remember sitting on the floor. And of course, it's, it's funny, you know, people spend gazillions of dollars, synthesizers, full orchestras to come up with quote unquote memorable themes. And this thing, I don't know, was somebody just sitting there doodling at the keyboards and, nee, 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 nee. and suddenly this thing, you can't forget it. So mm-hmm. the moment you hear that, yeah. you're ready. You're transported. You're already at that doorway yeah. to go in there. And as a kid, that was what it's like, what's going to happen next? You know, because this was yeah. the only weird, I mean, like, could be scary weird that I looked forward to. I was not a horror mm-hmm. kid. You know, Dracula, I think I saw two of the Bela Lugosi Dracula, Dracula movies when I was a kid and had nightmares. You know, so this was not working for me. But this mm-hmm. show, I don't care what they did, I had to watch it. And I think that's yeah. for the compelling aspects of the storytelling. And the thing that he did that I really loved, um, and Cassine, you're in the comics, right? No, I'm not. No, I'm not oh, a comic guy. Guy. never mind. Uh, Chris, I know. <laughs> um, you know who um, Will Eisner is, right, Chris? Sure. Right. Sure, sure. I know Will Eisner. Um, Will. Right. Oh, Will. Will Eisner did a comic strip in the, in the 40s called The Spirit. And it was, you know, a detective with a mask, and there was, a, you know, some interesting aspects about the hero versus the villain thing. But what he really did was he created this anthology series, and sometimes the spirit was simply a tool through which we got to see a story about a neighbor or a certain nebbish little guy who, who was going through hell and, and, and made it or didn't make it, or some kid who was going down the wrong road, wrong road and what would happen. And those stories were just as compelling as watching this, the masked hero fight bad guys. So the, the Twilight Zone, and no, I wasn't a kid in the 40s. I just thought I'd maybe explain that. But I found some of those comics in my youth, and the Twilight Zone sort of hit the same way. It was this magnificent anthology of different types of people and characters and backdrops. And so you never knew what to expect. It was always a surprise in some way to me. And I think that's part of what made me forward to seeing it as a kid. And the common denominator between Eisner and Serling and Matheson is that they're morality tales. Mm. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that the new version 
on CBS All Access takes a, 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 an interesting uh, angle on the morality tale uh, and the flavor of the Twilight Zone. So I, my impression is that we're going to talk about some of the classics and some of the uh, new ones and uh, see what we think. And the idea is, you know, again, not to dip into this abyss, but, you know, we are in the ongoing quarantine and people are running out of things to watch and maybe we will be of some service with some up. appetite to say some class two interesting stuff uh, that's worthy of your time. That is the commodity we all have right now. Yeah. It's time. <laughs> that, that time. Um, so, gentlemen, um, how do you want to approach this? We well, have some classics. We have some. What do you want to do? This is this is, as this is tell the damn story, and people constantly tune in to hear Chris and I bump heads. I would really love to start with Cassines. Where <laughs> you would like to start? I'm happy to go. You want to start with the old, the new? You know, how, where do you want to go? Because that makes it more interesting for me too. Oh boy! Wow. Um, Gee, shucks. Yeah, you, you, you invite people on, you throw them in the frying pan. Um, so let's with see. No butter. Uh, you know, I'm curious about Bob culture icon and uh, <laughs> authority. Cassine games. Well, I guess I, I have a question. I'm gonna kind of uh, punt a little bit, but I'm gonna toss it back to you. But I have a question uh, about your opinions of the new series because the new series. Uh, visually, I think in terms of tone, even a little bit stylistically, um, it's more than 24 minutes of content. Mm -hmm. um, so there's the stories have a little bit more room to breathe. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's not. Um, or maybe it's a necessary thing. Maybe it's not. Maybe. Um, so I am curious about how effective you think the new series is as being a part of the Twilight Zone brand? Is it is it on brand? Let me, uh, let me, let me say this about out? that. Yeah, yeah, let me say this about that. Speaking speaking as, you know, again, the older dude, um, I need to preface my next remark with this. I am not a purist to the point of where nothing is as great as the original, so I just want to step in with that first. I can find quality in quality. And so I would say that um, my impressions of the new series, and I've watched several of the episodes, not all, but I've watched several of them. And I, I think there's some interesting things they do uh, with, with the, the tone and the take on it. And I do read some subtext into each episode. I think, uh -huh, it's not just a one-level tale here. Cool and everything. But I, I feel like, and it could be just me, I feel like it's, it's almost like there's a vibration off of where it should be. Uh, something about it, it never plays out completely to the end satisfied. There are moments that I enjoy or moments that I think, oh, that's nice, that's pretty cool, you know, or that's interesting. And then I wait for the payoff and something about getting to the payoff and the payoff, I always feel like, is, is it, oh, hmm. It doesn't feel like it lands you know, it sticks it, like like to use the gymnast term. It doesn't feel like it sticks it. And I, I'm not sure what that is. Is it maybe the storytelling style? It's a different style than, than maybe one that I can sort of connect to? Um, I don't know. I because, theory. Like, for instance, the, the, the episode, uh, uh, was it um, 30,000 feet? 
I've seen that one. Nightmare at 30,000 feet. Nightmare, right. Thank you. I've seen that both in the original. I saw that in the movie that they did, right? And then I've seen their version. And I find that, you know, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm trying not to do a spoiler here, one of the things that's interesting is the, the terror that is usually outside is inside this time. And I thought that's kind of an interesting take. I like that. That's different. Mm -hmm. Let's see where it goes. And for a while it built up in a way that I'm going, okay, so what's the next move? And then at a certain point it became, okay, okay, all right, okay, here we go. Then I got payoff number one. I went, oh, oh, okay, that's cool. And then it just sort of, it's like it should have stopped there, but it didn't. It kept going. And I, I the, the ending of it was not satisfying to me. And I felt like, why didn't I like it? What what about it bothered me? And I can't put my finger on it. Just it wasn't satisfying. And I'm not saying every the original uh, Twilight Zones was brilliant and satisfying, but somehow it it always it always hit all of its notes per episode. And you either liked the episode or you didn't. I have a theory on that. Um, one of the things that struck me, uh, I, I too felt, uh, knocked off kilter, uh, by the episodes, the new episode. And I couldn't figure out what it was until, uh, uh, today I was rewatching a lot of the old episodes in preparation for the podcast and something clicked. Um, one of the things that the Rod Serling classic episodes or, or Matheson, uh, one of the things that they featured were, uh, I guess you could almost say, out-and-out debates on whatever the theme or the topic of the day was, right? Um, you would have people talking back and forth, um, usually on a very simple set, you know? If we look at The Obsolete Man, that was such a simple set, and, uh, and then it had one second set for a little while. But... Um, it was all about the exchange of ideas, right? Mm. The new one is sumptuously filmed. It is shot beautifully and shot in modern style. Mm -hmm. And they spend money on those episodes. And I think we're used to that as a signal for a modern kind of storytelling. Mm. And then occasionally, the content of the show tips it hat, its hat to the classic format and you get talking heads. So you get the theories and that kind of stuff. And it doesn't, you know, we're used to one, you know, the, the more um, show don't tell version of modern storytelling. And when it flips back to that classic, you know, limited, um, limited budget, uh, almost play style mm -hmm. uh, format. I think there's a little disconnect there. The second thing is that I think there is a struggle going on between having those old style teleplays and having modern television. Um, some work bet better than some of those episodes work better than others. Uh, <coughs> I think Nightmare at 30,000 feet. One of the things that, that it suffers from is you know, for us older dudes, um, we know the classic version, and it 
it, it features the Shatner, you know, <laughs> Shatner. <laughs> so yeah, you know, and it sounds like something I get shot. You, you have to kind of force yourself to recalibrate that it's not going to be mm-hmm. you know, that with thirty thousand feet. They did take the nightmare from outside to interior, and we became the nightmare. And I think that's an idea that was worth uh, exploring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the uh, add-ons at the end seek to expand the story or expand the nightmare. Um, something to chew on, but I wasn't when when uh, when we get to the shoreline, and there's even that little nod to the classic, right? Mm-hmm. You see, uh, in, uh, in the detritus of uh, the situation. Um, interesting to try and talk about this without spoilers. Uh, I'm not yeah, sure we should drop one um, line. I figured, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was interesting because there is there is a coda in the Shatner version, you know. Um, but he's going to be proven. You know, his he's going to be proven sane. Mm-hmm. And here. Yeah, watch, watch. It's not watch so much right now. in the classic, in the East, as, in the as, as, um, as spread, you know? Well, you know, again, I, I would wrestle that last part with you because, um, I mean, for me, again, it wasn't, it wasn't that I'd seen before and subsequently I can't. I mean, for instance, just, just to go on a different series for a moment, you watch the BBC Sherlock. Now, here are all these different variations that they do on the old Sherlock stories. And I've, I've watched Sherlock Holmes movies and TV shows from the 40s forward. And some of these, these storylines, I've read the originals and I've seen multiple variations mm-hmm. on the same story or theme. And what they do with Sherlock in modern times versus Rath, Rathbone in the, you know, either the, 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 the 1800s with the early films or then later the wartime movies that he did. Um, I can buy into it. I, can, I thoroughly enjoy what Cumberbatch does. I enjoy what they do with the script. The twists and turns here, I'm, this is different. And okay, I can ride with that. The thing that bothers me with, with 30,000, again, without trying to give away too much, is the flipping of the, the outside to the inside, I think works. I think that was definitely the way to go and it made it different. And, and I watched that. And the, for me, at a certain point, it felt like, it went on too long, but then, okay, we get to what feels like the payoff, again, not wanting to give away anything, but no, there's more, and instead of it being, I, I don't know, maybe maybe the Serlin-esque uh, squaring off of the philosophy or the questions behind what we've just seen and going away, we have yet another moment, and that moment, for me, was not satisfying storytelling wise well mm-hmm. i, I want to jump in because i think why don't you jump in i think <laughs> i think <laughs> what it, i think what what is um one hypothesis is that now you are doing like the new series is doing the twilight zone like they are putting on 
the costume and the drag of the of the Twilight Zone. And one of the things that if you ask the everyday person, what do you know about the Twilight Zone? I think you'll get there's always a twist ending. That's that's one of the the conceits of the show. And I think that what 30,000 feet, I mean, Alex, I think you're right that there is one payoff and it's a satisfactory payoff and then they just can't resist, but it's the Twilight Zone. So even though we've already given you a twist, we're giving you another twist and the other twist does not operate I think in the construct of the narrative. And I think that's my biggest sort of complaint with this series is that it seems like they almost, they 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 tell a decent story and then they figure out how do I, but, but the Twilight Zone needs a twist and what's the most far out twist I can insert into this world that I've created instead of as Chris was sort of saying before, you know, I think the original series always had a moral, you know, quote unquote, a moral or a theme or a message that it was trying to communicate in each episode and then sort of reverse engineered what's the best vehicle to, to tell that message. And the twist sort of came about more organically, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like a lot of these twists are sort of manufactured. I mean, you know, I- my sense. I'll I'll throw two points into there. One, I think um, in that case, and I want to move off 30,000 feet because it is a more difficult case and it sounds like we don't like the modern one as much. And I think there's a lot to like there. But um, in Nightmare at 30,000, let's go back to Shatner first. Going down 20,000 feet, feet, right? 20. Which uh, um, Matheson uh, uh, wrote, you can always root for the main character. Mm. Uh, there's a little empathy. With 30,000 feet, uh, the, the actor does a great job. I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I forgot his name. But he's really hard to root for. And and at a certain point, you'll, you'll kind of act if you find yourself actively rooting against him. Mm. I think that's one of the challenges. Now, I would say that 30,000 feet does have that tag on and makes it harder, but there are other episodes that do it exceedingly well uh one of the ones one of the modern ones that a replay i think does an exceedingly good job of the twist ending being organic and uh fulfilling the promise of the theme and still having a twilight zone feel you know um Tina, just for people who don't know would you would you set up that sure. a little bit replay replay is you know there's there are often in twilight zones um a macguffin of some kind or a magical thing right mm-hmm. um we just watched we had a little time we watched the one that we're really not going to talk about a lot but it was the classic episode where the uh blabbermouth gets the stopwatch mm-hmm. and it's the same structure at um time enough is at last it's the same structure so we'll talk about that one in a second mm-hmm. um but in replay a mom is taking her son uh to college and uh she has an old uh um cam corner uh, thank you there's the word i was gonna say handy cam but it wasn't that brand <laughs> um and she finds it's an african-american mother and uh son and uh, they are start be, uh, per, getting pursued by uh, a stereotypical 
Southern-ish um, or hickish uh, white racist uh, state trooper. And she accidentally discovers that if she pushes rewind, the entire episode they just lived through, the, the scene, the, the nightmare they just lived through, this guy harassing them, rewinds. They go back to a safe place and can try again. And it's, it's a great device to allow um, Jordan Peele to talk about, and I'm going to, since he's the narrator, I'm going to give him a lot of credit. I don't know if he wrote it or directed this particular episode. Um, but as the Sterling, the modern Sterling surrogate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they get to ex- explore the idea of how many different ways mm-hmm. African Americans have tried to get along, move forward, live in unity or harmony with um, a, a white segment of society that does not necessarily want them or may more honestly fear them. Mm. And because of the rewind uh, um, device, you get to see uh, the mom and the son play out different versions of how uh, African-Americans dealt with white race. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating ways until that twist ending, which is... Uh, again, forward thinking and it has a modern feel. Um, I found it very satisfying and purely in that Twilight Zone um, society heavy uh, thematics, you know? Mm-hmm. That was a great uh, what, summary, Chris, if I can say. That was an excellent summary of the episode. <laughs> Everybody now run and see it. You please. <laughs> I'm going to watch it again. I'll tell you what, it is, it, it's, a, I think, one of the favorites. Uh, of the new ones that I watched. Yeah. I thought it was really well done. I watched it a second time with the goddess and uh, got to wife, just enjoy a little more of it. Her. Oh, everybody. He knows who the goddess is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I meant for listeners, not for <laughs> Listeners, come on. Um, so what did you think about re- Replay? Uh, you know, I, I, liked, I like it a lot. Um, and I think it it you know you did a great job summarizing it and i think that it's a it's it's in that perfect twilight zone um vein of saying something about the current moment mm-hmm. but also there's like the the science fiction element of it is really embedded in the storytelling like the storytelling right. i think is in the driver's seat mm-hmm. you know oh yeah um, oh yeah and so I, I think that it's it's really great, and I love the way. I mean, it's one of the few episodes, honestly, where I felt myself being manipulated as a viewer and kind of going like, "Oh, okay, this time they figured it out." And then like, "Whoa, you know, I I was I was right along for the ride." Um, You're on the ride along, right? <laughs> and I'm I'm gonna try to not spoil here, but there is a coda to that episode as well. And I think that actually the coda is is the exception to everything that I've said about the previous episode, and I think the series as a whole, yes. where the coda, I think, is so perfectly Twilight Zone. It, it's, and it's, 
it's subtle too. It's not heavy-handed. It's like a no, nice, no, it's beautiful, subtle. It, you know, it hits. It's the one that hits art, you know, the most perfectly. You yeah. know, Sterling had a knack for doing that. This one, the replay, is the one that hits that well. And I think it's because the uh, uh, the theme and the storytelling matched the sci-fi uh, MacGuffin or whatever you want to call it perfectly, and the story taking, uh, storytelling took over. What, what Sometimes you, I feel other yeah. people's thumbprints on some of the episodes, but that one felt organic from the beginning. Well, and I want to say one thing, yeah, too. I know Alex is jumping in, but I want to try and cut him off for a second. There's this one... Uh, no, I was just jumping in to get back to you. Oh, there's one... But there's one thing that I want to, I want to give credit to Chris for pointing out before, because I think this episode is unique in that it's a very small cast... Mm-hmm. A lot of the episode is either in a car or it, it like I don't think there's a scene that has more than three people in it beyond the, right. beyond yeah one of the, a, a significant scene that I'm trying to not spoil. Right. Yeah. So you know when you unlike thirty thousand feet where you have a whole ensemble of different right. passengers on a plane, this you really had the opportunity to have more conversation and get to know these characters and live in the space of these characters. Um, and I think that that's a real benefit that this episode has that some of the others don't. I would, I would say also that with, and this is going to a couple of the older ones, uh, a couple of my favorites, one of them is, is one for the angels, uh, which mm-hmm. is, it's very From the classic, right? From the classic. Yes, it's a classic. Well, certainly I feel it is some do, um, I've, I've heard others that people feel are, are the best of, but the bottom line is it's, it's basically two characters, even though there's some supporting characters for a moment here and there, it's basically between this old man and this entity, this individual who portrays basically death. And a lot of the dialogues are back and forth between these two people. And w- one of the things that I like about it is it's very much a human journey. It's it's very much and again I won't spoil you know it's, I'm sixty years now if you haven't seen it now geez, almost seventy yeah what's the problem what's the problem but the bottom line is it's it's the, it's it's like there's a, an old movie called Death Takes a Holiday and there's a few other where we explore death you know what happens if death takes a physical form and you can actually dialogue with it or confront it and negotiate with it and the way this starts out. You're 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 rooting for somebody who, who doesn't want to go, and you know he he feels he's got more life to live and he wants to and he's entitled to it and and so it works out that he he negotiates himself into a longer contract as it were, and of course the things that bring that contract into a moral challenge, and and where a really intensely moral decision has to be made, which speaks to who this human being is. Not just what he wants or what he feels he deserves, but who he is at his core is played out with humor and pathos. Yeah. And I think that's what makes that, to me, such a magical episode. Even at the end, again, without spoiling anything, there's a win-win for the main characters, no matter what happens. And I, right. you know, so I look at that and I think that's one of the things that the original show could do so well, it's the human being, the essence of who we are, what we are, could come through through some of the stories. And if, if I jump quickly to the newer ones, 
Um, I'm left with a question, although I felt there was a moment in this particular episode I'm going to bring up, which, of course, just as I go to say it, the, the title went out of my head. The one with the, with the, the germ and the meteor. Um, oh, not, not all men. men. Not all men, yeah. Okay, so the setup there is there's a, a small town, you know, a modern town, present day. Uh, you got your nouveau and all that. You got a corporations yeah. there that you know, a lot of people work for, and I mean, it's all good. It all looks good until there's this meteor shower, and then things begin to change, and there's aggression. And again, I'm going to try and not give away too much, but there's this aggression, and hostility begins to boil, and and terrible things begin to happen to this town. And we're, we're we're sort of experiencing it by following this one woman who's who's moving through it, and people around her are all being affected by predominantly the guys. Towards the end, and again, this is difficult without, you know, spoiler alert. There's a um, a moment where one character doesn't do what everybody has expected, and then you get in the coda, you get why, he says why it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. and I'm thinking is there a reason why this character was of a particular mm-hmm. persuasion right and is there another statement being made and I have to look to this, the character that he interacts with and I'm saying well it worked on him but so is it a matter of and again can't say what it's yeah. a matter of without spoiling it but is it a matter of what they say it is or is there something else in play mm-hmm. and it was not not clear to me which may no, I hadn't I hadn't thought about that but that's a really that's a hmm that's an interesting that's an interesting um question because there is yeah the the dynamic that that we are not mentioning but the there is an aspect that's different about the character that deviates from what the rest of the right. men are doing and I, I that's an interesting sort of question as to what the statement is yeah. I, I would say again we're, we're speaking of the new uh, Twilight Zone, which is on CBS All Access. Uh, Jordan Peele is uh, running that show. And uh, this is not all men. That's I would say that they saved that that moment and that episode because they have uh, uh, the person who acts differently is not alone. And the person he's with does succumb to the situation. And it's because of that that it becomes more of a unified message. And when uh, the payoff of the story comes, uh, again, in uh, more successful, one of the more successful of the episodes, because it's spoken, and it's really, that's another one with a, a relatively smaller cast and smaller sets. They didn't spend as much money, so the focus is on story again. Um, in that one line, it pays everything off, and, and that's what you walk away with. That's what you think about, you know, for the rest of that day or evening, and in the next morning, you're thinking about that line again. Uh, makes it all worth the, the journey. And again, uh, that's the promise of this new show, to be able to bring the hope and the message and the absolute belief in us as uh human beings with potential, which was the cornerstone of Rod Serling. In, in we can episode, see that occasionally in the, Rod, in the Jordan Peele uh, version. And I think saying, that's, that's worth episode, celebrating. 
in particular? So are you saying the series in particular? I think the Rod Serling series was definitely celebration of the potential of, of humanity and the best moments of the Jordan Peele. Uh, thank you. Okay, that's what celebrate I Celebrate that potential as well or challenge you to confront the limitations that are currently holding us back from moving forward. Can you I... saw it in replay. You saw it in Not All Men. Well, I want to say something actually, because I I was feeling That's a little bit guilty because there's one there's one aspect of, of Nightmare at Thirty Thousand Feet that I actually really like that I I didn't say before, so I want to give it this this credit. I think that it plays very well on the main character, who's the character name I don't remember and the actor name I don't remember, but the the main character in the new series um, of that episode. I think the episode um, sets up. It, it, it plays against his expectations of what he, who he thinks is the enemy within mm-hmm. very well. And I think that, you know, um, lots of people have the experience of being on a plane in a post 9-11 world and feeling perhaps some level of discomfort and guilt about said discomfort and perhaps, you know, obviously being, you know, we are all susceptible to having prejudicial thoughts about different people, whether it's men, women, different races, ages, whatever the case may be. And all of the people that that character is suspicious of for one reason or another are of a different type of threat, not the same threat, but of a different (coughs) threat. And the person that he puts his trust in the most is the person who is the most like him. And I think the episode actually, one of my greatest disappointments with it is that I feel like it had the opportunity in the closing narration to sort of hit that point home. And instead it sort of squanders that with this coda and it's saying something completely different, which I think, you know, one of the things that we haven't talked about, but I think we also, it's such a testament also to Rod Serling's opening and primarily closing narration, Mm. not just the twist, but the way that Rod Serling always came in to just help and just put a bow on all of these episodes in the original series. And I think the, the new series does a particularly bad job with all of the narrations. I mean, I think that all of Jordan Peele's narrations just are, Wasteful. They don't add anything to the episodes. I, if I can, uh, if I just add one point to that. I think that one of the things we see with Sterling is that this is his show and his life. This was his life's work, and it comes across in how he, his presence there as both the narrator and as you know, uh, there's a lot of the coda where they and now Rod Sterling, you know, <laughs> and. <laughs> So, you know, they break that fourth wall and he's still that same character, right? Um, but there was a commitment there, like you're saying, to to bring that home, to, to nail it at the end. And I get the sense, this is, uh, I don't know it. I don't know it for a fact and I don't want to uh, uh, be disrespectful of Jordan Peele if he is that active or whatever. But I get a little more sense of um, a storytelling by committee on the news story, on the news stories, as opposed to, I mean, you, you felt the presence of one final editor in the classics. And I think that 
there's so much potential with this new version that that might be what is needed. And, you know, it might be that Jordan is, you know, uh, Jordan Jordan Peele is so successful. He's handing some stuff off. That's not what Twilight. You're accurate on that. And one of the things that I've I've heard is that in the second season, because it was approved for a second season um, or renewed, I should say, that Jordan is having Mr. Peel, Jordan Peel is having a more hands-on role in the storytelling, but mm-hmm. he is um, executive producer. He's the narrator. He is the um, the force the, behind he's, it. He's the he's the yeah he's the the driving force behind it. But he is not actually at least I think he's not actually the showrunner. I think that it is sort of a yeah. committee um, sort of situation. <clears throat> Well, you know, Rod ran into um, Rod ran into uh, some some pushback back in the day too because I mean it was a different world. Uh, it was CBS, which is funny. I used to look at CBS, ABC, and NBC uh, with these sort of um, models in my mind. It was like ABC you could watch in a t-shirt and your shorts. Uh, NBC you had to watch in a tuxedo. And CBS, you had to watch in a business suit and a white shirt and tie. It was a very conservative feeling about CBS. Now, I mean, Lassie was on CBS. You know, Ed Sullivan was on CBS. But the thing about, you know, Serling, there's a story. And I, you know, because I'm not an absolute aficionado on this, and part of my part of this uh, episode is about the storytelling of some of these episodes. But there's a story which can be confirmed. It was an episode that Rod wanted to do involving uh, an incident in the West and back in, in like the 1800s and a hanging of a man. And the original script was the man who was going to be hanged and wrongly hanged was black. And the studios, hell no, hey, not happening. Uh, a, they didn't really, they weren't really behind a, a black person having any kind of a lead in the show uh, in an episode. But the other thing, too, was, you know, we're not going to hang a black man because, you know, that's too controversial. You know, there's people in the South who get upset and blah, 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 blah. Uh, or they'll be cheering. I'm not quite sure what they thought. Was. <laughs> wow. But, yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to be cold about it. Now, the bottom line was the story was about the injustice of this and couldn't get it passed. So Rod had to do almost like a Jack Kirby with the Black Panther. Rod had to change some things, to try and get his story done. And that episode, as I understand, I wish I could remember the name of it right now, uh, winds up being, yes, in the West, yes, there's a hanging, but it's a Mexican. And I guess the feeling was, as long as he's Hispanic, he's kind of almost whatever, and this is more acceptable. I guess it's like, you know, the, the fact that you could do movies and TV shows back in the day where an Indian and a white person somehow wound up as husband and wife, or at least together, but you couldn't do those same kind of stories with a black person. Couldn't do it. You know, so I don't know what the level of censorship was, but yeah, that's how he gets gets it through. And there were some other episodes where, you know, because Rod, I think, in his storytelling, aside from talking about the human condition, he talked about social issues. He talked about, you know, he he re- he reflected some political scenarios within the story, the way a lot of science fiction of the 50s and 60s did. They masked a lot of present day problems inside of. Oh, the people on this planet are blue and yellow instead of white and black or whatever. Well, Alex and uh, Kasim, there's an episode from the classic that we watched and one from the new that kind of addresses this, this fear of the other, right? And uh, in the classic, it's, uh, the one we chose was Monsters Are Due at Maple Street. 
And I think we can go from there to the new uh, um, series, Point of Origin, right? So to speak about how they handled the other, right? Mm -hmm. The episode you were talking about, uh, we, we, we hopefully we'll come up with that name before the end of the episode, but Monsters Are Due in Maple Street is also very much mm -hmm. the other, right? So yeah. let's talk about that, and then let's see how it was handled. Um, it's not the same storyline, but it's thematically there is some uh, ground where we might be able to play with Point of Origin as well. So what did you think of... Uh, why, why are we bringing up Maple Street? Why is a monster? Why is that worth our time right now? Yeah. And the time of hopefully and some what, people what, out there what, watching. What is it about Maple Street? Why Maple yes, Street? Yes, damn it. Why not <laughs> Elm? But go ahead. Uh, why that episode? The name of the episode that I, I just did a quick uh, quick Google. The name of the episode Alex is referring to is called Execution, actually. Oh, there you go. Excellent. Well, I think, yeah, that's it. You, right on the nose I, is good enough. <laughs> So, um, all right, if we can uh, so, Christine, uh, move from execution to the beautiful. Monsters Are Doing Maple Street. <laughs> yeah, so Monsters Are Doing Maple Street is a you know, classic episode, and I'll, um, for those of you that have not seen it, I'll, I'll try and summarize it quickly. Their life is great on Maple Street. It's a nice, normal, suburban, all-American street. Neighbors are friendly to each other, and everyone's outside on a nice day. And then there is some sort of sound above uh, something perhaps resembling a flying saucer. You don't really see it, but you see some sort of stream of light. And then all of a sudden the power starts going out. Um, there's all of this sort of uh, discord, mostly technological um, on Maple Street. And all of a sudden people start accusing each other of being responsible for um being a, the alien, being a monster that is on Maple Street. Um, so I won't, I won't ruin the ending for anyone who hasn't seen it, but basically it's this small, maybe just a block, a block or two of, of, of this small neighborhood that's trying to grapple with the threat and trying to figure out who is the enemy among them that is making this discord in their community. And, and the other side of that is the episode, The Shelter, from the classic series, where you know a foreign threat of some kind—it may be a bombing, may not—reveals the monster in these friendly neighbors. Right? Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, uh, and more. Some of it was because of the times, but that was a uh, that was a, a popular subject with it. Um, Alex, what do you think about uh, Maple Street well, or know, the Shelter? Either way, I, I think I think that both uh, <clears throat> both themes. Really, and you know, again, I'm 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 in favor of the the the, the original episode a, a little bit more than the, the present day, but I think both themes or both stories examine human conditioning, because a lot of what we experience, and again, without giving away a lot in terms of the original episode, okay. the, we don't want to spoil the 60-year-old episodes, folks. <laughs> now, I always make room for the fact that people who are listening to this are listening to us and have never seen any of this stuff. So 100%. I make room for that. I make room for that. But here's the thing. Right now we're going through a time when because of what's happened with the pandemic and all that, and just bring that up for a sec, there are people making accusations about others that make absolutely no sense. Yeah. But they're convinced they must be the problem. 
And I think this this moment in space and time only says that r human nature has not changed that much in 70 yeah. years. Because mm -hmm. to me, you. a lot of what that story is about is the monster's always been there. Mm -hmm. It's been in a cave somewhere. It's been listening and waiting and watching for the right moment to begin to not crash out, but ooze out, mm -hmm. right? And once it starts to get out, it spreads. And slowly but surely, rationality goes out the window yeah. because it's always been there. That little subtle question, that little nod, that little, you know, difference or this or where are you from? Or, you know, and we can we can deal with overt whatever negativity, if you will. Um, it's this it's the insidious stuff that gets you. And I think when we explore, you know, people say that, uh, well, you know, um, when, when the war in Kosovo ended and they were hearing about uh, the mass graves, I knew people, college-educated people, went, oh, that could never happen. I can't believe that. And I'm going, I'm sorry, did you sleep through history? Did you forget about World War I, too? Did you forget about, you know, the, 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 the Sioux Nation? I mean, come on. I mean, it's, it's in us to do it. Ethically, whether we do or not is always the question, morally. Is it the right thing to do? Is it justifiable for any reason? Those are always the questions. And I think that Serling gave us the best playground, the best arena to look at that. Because there is no war to distract us or to justify anything. No, nobody's being bombed. You know, nobody's starving to death. Nobody's out of their jobs at this point. It is, everything's fine. And yet the monster is there. If I could add, um, of course you can. We, we yes, watched can. Um, uh, Maple Street and uh, the Shelter today, and we're in we're in quarantine. Yeah. And one of the things that mark uh, classic storytelling is if they reverberate with the times. Mm -hmm. These are sixty-year-old stories, and I'm watching them, and I can't escape how they resonate. You know, yeah. especially. Um, Sorry, the please. blame, the blaming in Maple Street and in the shelter, the mocking of the doctor, who was the only guy on the block to build a fallout shelter. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, this, you know, the, the just claiming it as their own, you know, mm -hmm. that that change of narrative mm -hmm. without owning up to the responsibility of being irresponsible early on. It's so relevant today. Um and that was what, kinda, is that and, and, what is that fable about the squirrel gathering nuts or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, <laughs> you know. Yeah, we're talking yeah. about human humankind. We have not changed that much. But there's a and, there's an aspect of that that I love too because the doctor is not totally absolved of of sin himself. Where there's a great ethical yeah, question. Yeah about you know, there, one of the characters, I'm not spoiling anything significantly, one of the characters at one point really comes at him and says, you know, you're a doctor, you're supposed to help people, you know? And so sure, you know, the doctor took the proper precautions and has the rationed water and has the bomb shelter and has all of this. But when people are outside and it's hour of, uh, in their hour of need, you see the doctor just as much as everyone on the other side of the door is still looking out for himself and his family. And I, I don't think the episode is 
critical of him. I think actually Serling just sort of presents it matter-of-factly, and right. you can sort of make what you want of that. But I think about people that, you know, it's funny. I was talking with my wife before, and she was talking That's about how do that. people, <laughs> well, it's quarantine, so lots, lots of conversation. Uh, <laughs> wow, and she, wow. So she, she was You're going to pay for that how, comment later on. <laughs> <laughs> She was talking about how um, everyone that went out and, you know, purchased toilet paper or purchased, you know, uh, canned goods or whatever, you know, she was telling her mother, you know, stay home, stay home for like a week or two before there was a stay at home order. Now everyone has to stay home. And so, you know, I think her mother was saying like, oh, do you have any extra like toilet paper to spare? Because she went to the store and there was none. And so like we had a couple and we could give her like three or four rolls sort of thing because we didn't have like, we didn't, we didn't actually stock up. We just got, you know, enough. And it was sort of like, well, don't you have any more to give? And my wife was literally like in the episode, my wife was like, I told you two weeks ago to go right, to the right. store when everyone was going. I told you to go. You didn't go. And so, you know, now it's not it's not my fault that I can only give you a little bit, you know. And so I think there's the shelter to me is an interesting episode because it feels very much so like like a sister or brother to, to Maple Street. But I do think because there is um the the threat is a little bit different. The threat is different enough where I think they both comment very interestingly on the human condition, but from different yeah. sort of mm-hmm. angles. One of one of the things that we keep going back to on this show, we call it tell the damn story for a reason, is that story is all, right? And if you're loyal to the story, if you serve the story, that's where you start looking and, and seeing the truth about the characters and the truth about, you know, the layers there and in the shelter. Uh, not to not to say Maple is any less great than the shelter, but since we have the, sh- you know, you can see that in the rewriting they made sure this guy was a doctor, so that you'd had the Hippocratic oath. But also, he's the one who who took uh, the mocking and the uh, 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 you you know he was the Noah. Exactly. Yeah. What are you doing? Remember the old Bill Cosby Noah. thing? What, Noah. what are you doing, Noah? <laughs> building an ark. Yeah, sure, Tarzan. Right? <laughs> he was the guy who was building this. And they were complaining early on that the, the banging at night, the construction at night bothered them and it was a pain in the neck and, you know, enough with this already. And then they, there's this ownership of it afterwards. So this is ours, not the state's. This is these are our stockpile. Wait, wait, that was the wrong story. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know we still see it. Um, it's those layers that I think make the best of the Sterling uh, Sterling episodes work, and that segues over to Point of Origin because there are interesting layers in that episode. You know, mm-hmm. do you want to play a little bit with uh, Point of Origin? So, Point of Origin... Um, this is in the new series. In the new series. In the new series, um, I, I think pretty succinctly is about a upper middle class, you know, maybe upper class family. Um, the main character is a woman who has two daughters, I believe. And they have a, a nanny... White woman. House, white woman of privilege. White woman of privilege. Um, and she has some sort of uh, like a Hispanic... A nanny or or maid or something like housekeeper something like that um and long story short the housekeeper ends up getting taken in by some sort of immigration 
mm. ice type. I don't know ice if it's adjacent. Ice. I don't know if ice, <laughs> like, right, some sort of ice adjacent organization. <coughs> and then, and I, this is all before the opening narration, so I'm going to say this right. is a spoiler. I'm going to say this is fair game. Then the woman ends up being brought in for questioning. Um, and you don't exactly know why she's brought in, but there are sort of, um, you find out the woman and her housekeeper have sort of have parallelisms. Yeah, yeah, something in common. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, parallel, yeah. Um, that's the, that's point the, of origin the least amount of spoilers different. I can give. Okay. Their point well, of okay, origin, for, very different. So yeah, let's, and let's yet, this way. Both yeah, challenged. It, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is a challenge to, to not spoil this, but I guess the, the thing is, um, I will do it this way. I will say that there are those wonderful people and I, I'm sure one of you two will, will, will come up with the right name. There's this uh, very intelligent black man who does the um, gene investigations for you. We'll look into your ancestry. Uh, professor, come on, guys. Not uh, Dyson, not Dyson, or no, 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 no. No, uh, I'm thinking of um... celebrities have gone to him and said, find out what you know about my ancestry and everything. And he comes back and he tells them who you're connected to, who you're at. I don't know, but I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to defer Alex and I'm going to say if, if I'm in the great company of you and you can't remember, I can't remember either. So I'm in good company. Okay. Right. Well, see, I can see his face. He had a TV show, all of that. I can remember all those things, but not his name. But here's the thing. A number of people, white and black, have gone into that scenario expecting to hear back about their lineage connected to kings, queens, and whatever. And a couple of them have come back and gone, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> to find out that they're connected not only to not royalty, but they're connected to people of different ancestry, color, so forth and so on, from a whole other continent than their family ever told them about. Right. And I think that one of the things about this episode is, is how far it can take that to where someone can be presented as one thing. You, that visual you see is what you believe they are, and it's actually what they believe they are. Yes. Absolutely, down to the core. This is what I am. And then reality goes, hello, uh, can mm -hmm. we come in for a minute? We, we got something to tell you. <laughs> and, and your mind is totally blown, and you have no platform to stand on. And when everything you know and believe is ripped out from under you, and I think that that is reflected in this episode. I liked where they went. I chuckled when I saw it, but I liked where they went. And I think to me, again, I'm thinking because, you know, we have this whole immigration thing here and we're building a we're building a wall out of I think we're building out of toilet paper, aren't we, between the United States and Mexico? <laughs> because there's a lot of toilet paper missing. Um, but we're building this wall to keep these people out and those people out. And I'm reminded of the fact that there's a whole bunch of jobs that those people will do for the chump change that is being offered, that if those people go away. So do those jobs, the produce that the, those who are not used to won't be able to get their hands on. So I think we're all connected in certain ways that get ignored. And I think this episode makes you think about that. It, it, to me, it makes you think about not only the haves and have-nots, the privilege and not privilege, but also our personal beliefs about our value and where we think we are from and what we think we are versus the reality. And if you yeah. dig deep enough, that reality comes back and sometimes it smacks you in the face. Well, I think there is a couple of things in there that uh, that they did really well. There's a kind of a who says uh, aspect to that episode, which is really cool. You know, oh, you think mm -hmm. this about yourself? Who says, mm -hmm. right? 
And I also think that this is one of the episodes uh, where Jordan Peele's coda narration uh, works to, to kind of bring home the, uh, the theme of that particular episode. What, what do you think? I think, you know, I, I like, this is an episode where I particularly feel um, the, the biggest detriment to it is the length of it. I, I actually think that the episode is um, I love I love what it says and I think that it it is a smart way of communicating it and I think they make such a great I hope I'm not spoiling here I'm really trying to behave myself but I think they make a very smart choice of making the main character um, not a jerk I mean she's yeah. she's they easily it so would have been so easy there's this moment. Um, where she is asked a favor, and it's a it's a pretty imposing favor by right. her housekeeper, and it would have been very easy for her to say no, and for for the the writers of the episode to sort of vilify her in that way, and she she doesn't. I mean, she she is a a a nice person, all things considered, at least in the opening of the episode, I think, um, and I don't think that the episode sets you up to believe that she will be in the beginning. And um, I just think the episode runs a little bit long, I think. Yeah. Um, I think but it that runs- one moment is that, that little gossamer of hope, you know, a little, little thread of hope for her that allows you to root. Without that. You know, you know it's funny. I just had a, the wrong people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just had a, um, uh, a consultation with one of my, my screenwriting students and he was talking about, you know, his particular script and what he's trying to tell, I don't want to spoil it, but what he's trying to tell uh, in this story, what he wants the audience to, to get out of this story, which is a conflict that involves both the North and the South, the Confederacy and the Union, after the war. And the more he talked about it, because I'd read the script, the more he talked about what he wanted the audience to get, the more I was able to ask him, what is it within your script that makes you feel we, the audience, will have any sympathy for the so-called villains of the piece. You want us to actually wonder about, gee, maybe they're kind of right. Maybe, gee, maybe I see their point. But you don't give us a moment in there where we feel that, feel any kind of empathy or sympathy towards them. I said, if you want us to be in conflict, that it's not absolutely purely he's right, they're wrong, then you've got to give us some chance to kind of see the glimpse, their side of it to sort of understand their justification, their motivation, even if we think you're going about it the wrong way. And he went, oh. And we talked about it, and he started to come up with something and say, okay, go down that trail. And I think that's, you know, what you're talking about is that moment in this episode. Because, yeah, they could have very easily had her play the stereotype. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the scene would have moved faster, and we wouldn't have given a damn when the ending came, one way or the other. But I think it makes for, and again, um, Chris and I talk about this a lot. People may either be tired of hearing about it, but too bad. Uh, character is is everything. I mean, you can have a great plot, you can have great scenes, great action, all that. But if we don't give a damn about who's going through what, yeah. you know, then it's just okay. That's all right. I watch the building blow up. Okay, what next? Yeah. You got to pull your people I, in. I would say that that's one of the things that we would hope for and cheer and root for Jordan Peele to do in this second season. Yeah. Because the first season is lush and beautifully filmed and beautiful to watch. Uh, 
but it needs more of that uh, Rod Sterling-esque stamp, and it needs to focus on, you know, telling the damn story and the characters. We have one more episode from the classic and from the, the modern. They are not linked. <laughs> they are Let me not. just quickly say, folks, this episode is going to run longer, so just sit down. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> okay, but this, this one from the classic, it's, again, where we get to see one of the things that Sterling did was give actors a vehicle to act. And this one is uh, Time Enough at Last. Burgess mm. Meredith and not only is it a great performance by him despite these enormous goofy ass <laughs> glasses <laughs> right right um, which are integral to the plot but also there's there's an irony we can't quite hide away from watching that during a quarantine where we do have time enough at last and as you see behind me I'm surrounded by books and I find myself not being able to get to all of them because I'm so focused on this damn quarantine. Um, let's talk about Burgess. Let's talk about uh, time enough at last. What did you think? I want to. I want to make a really nerdy trivia point before we do that and just say, I, you know, Burgess Meredith is in three separate Twilight Zone episodes, and they are three completely different performances. They are three. Amazingly excellent performances. I mean, he is like obsolete man. Uh, yeah, um, coming up at last. What's the third? In an episode called uh, "Mr. Dingle the Strong," which is which yes. is actually it's an okay episode, but he is excellent in an okay episode. He is mm-hmm. so, um, and it's great. He's like almost indistinguishable between these three episodes. It's it's remarkable. Um, I, I look. I, I told that. I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love Time Enough at Last for, for one reason, um, and I'm going to try, boy, my reason, is it's going to be hard to do this without telling the ending here a little bit, but... Remember, it's 60 years old. Okay, you know? all right, so, well, so, um, a very good friend of ours, I, I don't think she would mind being mentioned, so Stephanie Shaw, who's a co-worker and friend of, of Chris and, and myself, um, she hates this episode for the exact reason why I love it, and she hates it because she That's says cool. it's, the, it's the only Twilight Zone episode that isn't fair. Oh, oh, oh she says wow. she says that Rod Serling has a moral compass, and typically, the good guys the good guys win, or maybe there's good and bad guys, and you know the ending is ambiguous or something like that. But never really does the good guy lose. And in this episode, she argue she's arguing okay. the good guy loses and i don't know if i don't know if i agree with with the fact that uh henry bemis which is a great little character name that uh that bemis is a that he how much of a good guy he is i I would say maybe number one and number two i think even if you can see uh, even if you um believe that he is it's so beautifully Twilight Zone that even the good guys then, if you believe he is a good guy, even the good guys fall victim to the Twilight Zone too. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's great in that regard. Yeah, I, I, I got to say two things. One, ask her about the Howling Man. Okay, I'm sorry. We didn't win then either. Uh, <laughs> and then the other thing is, what is that movie with uh, Matthew Broderick when he was a kid? Um, Bueller? Excuse me? Ferris Bueller? No, no, the one with the computer. War, War games. 
War Games, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Without going any further than to say, what is the message of War Games? Because I feel like that's the same message in this. There is no win with this kind of law. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you know what, what were we going to say at the end of this had it ended differently for Bemis? It's like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, there's, there's a silver lining. Mm -hmm. No. I'm, I, I'm not sure that uh, Bemis is a good guy as much as his uh, flaws are innocuous. You know, um, but I mean, he doesn't really mind, and then he gets his comeuppance. You mm -hmm. know, so I, I'm not sure that he's a hero there. But you know, I've been known to disagree with the legendary Miss Shaw on occasion. Ah, that's so, boy. Rather, she's fascinating. You know, he's um, more every man to me than good guy or bad guy. He's he's every man. You know, he's. He's the one who, yeah, if this, this happened, this thing happened, and I'm happy because now I get what I've always wanted. Mm -hmm. You know, and I can see that. He's not worrying about any of the other survival things. This yeah. is what was important to him. He's not looking for anybody else. He's not doing any right. of those other things. That but the thing that... I'm more than what I appear to be. The, the thing that he wanted kept him interior as opposed to really living amongst mm -hmm. humanity, which I think is the thing that is the flaw, and I think that Serling is, is making comment on. You brought up, Kasim, um, The Obsolete Man, which is another religious uh, Meredith. So we might as well give it a little more. We kind of brushed past it before. But can you talk to us a little bit about uh, why and how uh, Burgess is so great in that one? I think it's, it's obsolete man is, and again, I, I keep going back to what Chris said before obsolete man is excellent because so much of it are, is two people in conversation. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's uh, there's another, I don't want to spiral into, but like uh, there's an episode called a game of pool that's coming to mind oh, yeah. at Klugman, which is again, I think there's only two people in the entire episode, um, yep. but it's, it's great and it's compelling and you can watch I mean, I could have watched an hour of it. You know what I mean? Um, oh, yeah. The Obsolete Man is, it talks so much about what it means to be a person in a society and have value. You know, and I think, mm -hmm. you know, if we're, if we're talking quarantine again for a moment, there is so much mm -hmm. now about essential workers and who is an essential worker. And obviously they are your healthcare providers, your doctors, but they also are, the person bagging your groceries. They also are the person who, uh, the, the sanitation workers, you know, all of these are essential workers and we are thankful for all of their service in this time. And if this were just another April day and you saw perhaps a sanitation worker or the person bagging your groceries, you might- the guy say, delivering your takeout food. Yeah, you know, the person delivering your takeout food, yeah. you might say, boy, what a what an unfortunate hand this person's been dealt in life, you know? And, and the reality is the value of a human being is tested and proven in all sorts of different ways. Um, and I think the obsolete man really speaks to that. I, I, can you tell I love the episode? I can, you know, but, oh, uh, but I, you know, it speaks to that because every single person has value. And I think you just have to work a little bit harder sometimes to see the value that they have to you. Um, right. But no person is obsolete. And that is really what that episode 
um, gets at. And Burgess Meredith brings that out in this really pitiful, sad portrayal of a of a um, person that that time has sort of passed by. <coughs> yeah. But you realize over the course of the episode that he really has the spark of humanity that everyone else has has lost. And can I jump on on or springboard right off of that? Because one of the things I, I wanted to, to sort of at least share from my point of view and, and see what you guys have to say. I often think, especially when I talk to my students, I talk about the era in which something is written or created mm -hmm. because that has a major influence on the artists and so forth. And I think what we as a society or what many of us within that society at that time were influenced by or what we believed has shifted to some degree. Uh, what do we believe and feel now as a society or the, the people who are producing the new material? Where are they coming from as opposed to where people came from in the 80s or the 90s? Because there was a Twilight Zone series remake in the 80s, which was short-lived, and, and I can't say that I'm really sorry about that. But ultimately, that reflected where our heads were, where the creative minds were at that time. And I think this does, too. I think the difference between this one and the one out of the 80s is I feel that, that, that Jordan uh, Peele really respected the source material. I think he respected what Sterling had done with that. He wasn't trying to recreate all of that. He was trying to carry that spirit over right. and create material for this era that resonated along the same band line as what the, the Twilight Zone was able to do in the sixties. But you know, I know that you know, when I was growing up, whether the society totally bought into it or not, you were expected to believe that you know there's a certain line of decency, cooperation, community that you walk. And especially when the the the, the movement began in the sixties, you know, the whole thing about black solidarity and all that, you know, and Hispanic solidarity and women's solidarity. It's like work together, work together, work together, come together. Prior to that, it was everybody be a good neighbor. Then it became work together to to overcome. And and now we're 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 sort of stuck in a generation of of people. We're in a whirlwind of where a lot of what's been served to us for at least twenty years is it's about me. It's about mine. It's about getting mine. Um, and I'll I'll try and make this even shorter. There's too late. Too late. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Well then, get comfortable. The thing is, I think that as we move forward, you know, whoever it is creating the material, they're going to create what maybe what they believe is a part of it. Absolutely. You know, else we wouldn't have some of the diversity of shows that we have. But they're also going to reflect what's going on right now. And as I look at the Twilight Zone episodes of now and I look at some of the other programming of now and then I look at what's happened since the pandemic, like one of the PSAs that's out there, we're all in this together. I haven't heard that in a while. <laughs> you know, I have not heard that philosophy permeating through the media in a long while. So sometimes it takes a severe slap in the face to get folks to like, okay, either they, they totally believe it or they're going, I better say I believe it so I, I, if I need help, somebody will come, whatever it is. I think that right now we're in an interesting place where we go from here and who the storytellers are. This is a major time. This is a major influence going on here. And what we I would this is certainly going to be uh, a, a, a milestone in human history. I, w I would also add that I think one of the reasons why we're talking about the Twilight Zone, one of the reasons why we are drawn to Twilight Zone, 
is because it, it again does what stories do best, which is hold up the mirror to humanity mm. and make us think, you know, and now we're given, you know, you were saying that these days used to be about me, 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 me. And then, you know, not that we deserved it or not for any other reason, but through the coronavirus, we were given all the time to look at me that we could possibly handle, maybe more than we could possibly handle. Mm-hmm. And we find ourselves, and I see it on social media and stuff, screaming for distraction. You know, and maybe one of the things we're doing here today is trying to offer a distraction that will bring them back to the to self. You know, um, which again, uh, Twilight Zone is a great tool for that, great entertainment for that. Uh, we've talked about the classics several. We have one more of the new to talk about, um, which is Six Degrees of Separation. Fascinating episode. Will Smith movie, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want, I'm gonna defer talking for. I want, I want Alex to kick in on on this one. What do you, what did you think about it? Yeah. Or do you want to set it up? Movie, I, right? No, no, no. I, I actually, I, I, I would like to end on an up note. So I think whoever <laughs> enjoyed that episode really should sort of be the one to speak most about it. Well, I think one of the things, Cassine, did you really enjoy that episode? I enjoyed what I think that episode. Um, I enjoyed like everything up until the 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 coda. I think I think it's the ending or the twist. I, I just it it destroys it. I think what it what I like about that episode. So to just to set it up, there's um. I don't know how many people, five or six or something, on on some sort of spacecraft, a rocket ship from Earth, and they are on their way to Mars. And um, as they you are getting start doing what? They start doing what? Mining. Yeah. What 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 is their what is their mission to Mars? Oh, they are they're looking to. Um, what are they going to do? Are they? Are they oh, they're going to start. They're the first group. Oh, they're going to colonize, aren't they? Yeah, right. right. They're going to start right. colonizing. Right. Yeah, right. So, okay. Right, so, um, and as they are on the, the, the takeoff pad, I'm sure there's some more graceful way of putting that, uh, the launch pad, that's it. As they're on the launch pad, they get this signal that there's a missile headed towards uh, where they are, and they could either get out of the spacecraft that they're in, or they can go. And But if they go, they're not going to have any communication with Earth. Everyone's going to get blown up. And so they decide they're going to... Mutually assured them. destruction is going on. Yeah, right. So they're right. gonna they're gonna go. Um, and what you end up seeing over the course of the episode is that these five or six people end up sort of uh, grapple with being isolated, even though they are amongst people, not being able to reach out to Earth, um, and they're not sure. You know, the as the question that the episode raises, and not spoiling anything, is will they be able to make it to Mars basically without tearing each other apart? Will they be able to work together long enough to, to get there? Um, I, I like the episode in, I think it's great with highs and lows. I think the episode really is really good with tone in terms of like, there are these great moments of joy and fun. And then every time there's a little bit of fun, there's this disaster that seems to be, you know, lurking right around the corner. I also think the way that the different characters experience isolation, loneliness, um, how they sort of navigate it. And also you get a lot of moments of how they privately deal with it, 
versus how they present to deal with it when they are in the group. Um, so I think it's kind of an interesting character study in that regard. I My biggest complaint with the episode is that I don't really know what the episode, what the writers want me to take from that episode. Right. So there's a lot of interest, you know, I think Alex said early on about this series is that there are great moments. And I think, you know, I would say maybe a half hour of that episode is a great moment, but I don't really know what the point of it is supposed to be. And that's sort of, I think, my frustration with it from a, a telling the damn story perspective. Lord of the uh, Flies, you know, um, yeah. and and another, a, a 70s attempt at a TV series, which thank goodness didn't work. Um, 70s had Mod Squad, which everybody said, oh, this is the way to go with teens and cool and mod. So we'll do a series called The New People, which is a, a plane load of teenagers and a couple of adults crash on an island, which for some reason isn't anywhere on anybody's map. And so they're, they're doomed to be there. And it's about whether or not their society will mirror the ones that we've screwed up. Or- Gilligan, isn't it? Isn't that Gilligan's Island? Isn't that the one you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, movie star, that was different. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know uh, this is lost, but without all the story, the drama. <laughs> and well, so- I w- I was going to say is, you know, the new people, Lord of the Flies, some of the others have, have dealt with what, how do we function as a society? How, how can we cooperate, live side by side, you know, a nurture versus nature, all of these things. And I felt like I did, just like you said, I didn't, what do you, what do you want me to, to feel? Where are we going with this? Because I, I, I already got it. This is the, t- what are you, what are you sharing with me? What am I supposed to pick up? Is there anything new here? And I kept feeling like I was asking so many questions that I really didn't enjoy the episode. Mm. And then again, unfortunately, it's a situation where the coda didn't help. So, mm. you know, and I don't want to sound like, you know, I've written this, I would have, you know, because maybe my script would have bombed. But the bottom line is, I feel like there were a couple of things and I went, yeah, that's interesting. Let's, can we open that up a little bit more? Can, can we go there? Yeah. And they didn't, so they kept skipping by it. And I'm going, so I think I would have at least wanted to, and maybe they did. Maybe the writing room was a horrible, horrible place to be on this episode. Maybe somebody did want to go there, but I feel like if they'd gone and explored just some of the, the things that they almost slipped by or, or they played too subtle, if they'd gone there, it would have been an episode that could have stood on its own, you know, and would have and been I, far more engaging. I've got, I've got a positive spin ladies and gentlemen go ahead there you go good we need all that. right so six degrees of separation that idea that case that you mentioned you know can they survive long enough to make it to mars can they evolve enough to work together because they are a diverse group and they have all their own opinions can they can they work for the greater good mm-hmm. it's a beautiful metaphor for humanity it's a great metaphor for humanity. It is an enormous metaphor for humanity. I'm sorry. <laughs> and I think that is what kneecapped it, was because it is such a huge metaphor. There are so many different ways to go, so many places to go, that I think this was one of those episodes where you see people's fingerprints all over the episode. This was this person's baby and that person's baby. And that is where, if what you're saying is, and I, there's no reason to doubt Cassian Gaines, because he knows all, 
you know, if Peel is going to have a, a stronger, you know, hand at the mass there for se- season two, I think those kind of things will be ironed out. I have faith in him as a storyteller. Um, I think this had a gr- this is a, such a great um, metaphor in itself for the pluses and minuses of this new version of the Twilight Zone, in that it is so rich with ideas, and it is shot so beautifully, and the ca- and the actors are so competent in here, you know, but it suffers from modern Hollywood storytelling. Uh, challenges, problems, the storytelling by committee, yes, and I do not think that they always tell the damn story, I don't think they always serve the story, and this is one of those things, now we always talk about on this show you know, you can learn as much or more from uh, something that doesn't work Mm -hmm. than you can from a classic watch Rod Serling's Classic episodes of Richard Matheson's classic um, Twilight Zone, yes. And there's some stuff, and it's easy to find out what the best ones are. And there's so much to learn from that. And you'll see that it is character-driven. The the scope is considered and held to uh, a manageable, you know. And then come and see this season one and see when it works. It works so beautifully. There are episodes in this new version that sing gloriously. And, and, and but, there are episodes that throw us and, and challenge us, and you can learn so much from that as someone them. who wants to tell the damn story. And, so I think both are really worth uh, your time if you're interested in story. Agreed, and I would also just add to that, <coughs> as we obviously are coming to a close, I would just also add to that that I don't want anybody to think, although probably that's the way it sounded, that every episode of the original series was a gym. You know, mm-hmm. there, were, there were clunkers there too, absolutely. Or there were ones that were weaker than the ones we might have talked about. So, you know, it's not like they had the formula and they were perfect, everyone knocked it out of the ballpark all the time. It's just that. We were talking about five from five. Yeah, five seasons. or so. Yeah, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Excuse me. There's another five out there that you would, you would hold up to the mirror and go, yes, this is what great storytelling is. Mm-hmm. Sure. But either way, it's storytelling. Good, bad, indifferent, whatever one may feel. And it's it's well, to see that I'm I'm glad for one. Let, let me just put that out there. I'm and I don't think we said anything different. I'm glad that Jordan did this. I'm glad to hear that there's going to be a second season. I think it's important on on a number of levels, and in particular, you know, on someone like Jordan being able to further his career with some good solid choices, uh, because it makes me feel like you know there's more interesting things to come. Even if I don't like everything, there's more interesting things going on out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just formulate, you know, cookie cutter. So I'm all for it. And I, you know, I look forward to seeing the next season. And I would say that we don't get really bad episodes in the Jordan Peele uh, uh, version, but we get ones that are not perfect. Mm-hmm. Or you satisfactory. Uh, I like still so. think it's, I think, still think it's worth exploring. I think that there's a lot of promise and a lot to be uh, uh, endorsed and recommended in this episode and, and yeah. in this series, and they're beautiful and all that sort of stuff. But I'm really excited by the potential of where someone of Jordan Peele's skill set 
could take this. Right. So, you know, you can catch up with season one and get ready for season two. I think there's there's so much potential. What do you so, think? The only the only thing I wanted to to say is, you know, because this is tell the damn story. I I think the the real takeaway here, and one thing that Jordan Peele does so well in his films, is character. Mm-hmm. And I think you know all, all everything that we've come back to is these new Twilight Zone episodes have. The, the premises are fine. No, we don't have a problem with the premise of any of these episodes. They all want to say something interesting or they all have an interesting sort of conceit and we can buy into that. But replay was one that stood out as having characters that we we grew to care about through the work being put in. Um, and what I'd like to see, and I think that, you know, one thing that Rod Serling did and, and all of the writers, Matheson included, of course, in that original series I mean, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, the Shatner one, is is kind of like an objectively silly episode in execution. Mm-hmm. The idea is okay. The performances are okay. The, the execution of it, I think, leaves a little bit to be desired. But those actors and characters are people that you can imagine existing in the real world, and they aren't caricatures, even with Shatner doing Shatner's thing. Shatner, 100%. <laughs> Full on Shatner. Full Shatner. Um, and so, what I'm hoping for in season two of the, the new series is that we ease up a little bit, perhaps, on visual style. Um, because that Six Degrees episode is beautiful. I mean, you could hang Gorgeous. every frame of that, and it, you could, I mean, they're all, it's a beautifully shot episode. But what's it saying to us? Who are yes. these people? And um, I think it's it's a reminder that story and character always supersedes style or anything gotta, else. Gotta serve the story. Just because you have the budget doesn't mean you need to spend the budget. Serve the story, serve the story, serve the story. No, absolutely. And on that note, <laughs> Christine, you gotta come back. Anytime. Yeah, great time. Absolutely. Uh, Really come back and talk about some great. other film or TV show or this was fun. Yeah, or the light behind your head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, you know what? I like that. Loved it so much that he spent J.J. Abrams' money to bring some, you know, uh, flair. Was it um, what, the light what flair? This light is my flare? this is my six degrees set. That's I've got like light right. flares and all that. Okay. that you know. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm going to say... And you know, this is going to go out audible and yeah. uh, audio, and everyone's going to say, what the hell did you talk about? Yeah. I have a screen uh, grab. I'll send it to you. Yeah. So everyone can see the okay. beauty. Guys, it's been great. Absolutely. And let's, like I said, let's do this again. And everybody, please don't forget to leave your comments, your questions, your opinions. And we're not giving you our address because if you disagree with us, we don't want you to hunt us down. But most assuredly, check out both series. You know, please, you know, give Jordan his props. And uh, Chris... I'll see you next time in Cassine. I'll see you as soon as humanly possible. Yes. Thank Thank you, guys. Until then, go on forth and tell the damn story. Adios. Peace.